Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. Hello, and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I'm your host, Ashling O'Rourke, and I hope you are safe and well as you tune into our episode this week. On this week's show, we're going to be looking at efforts to keep our hilly areas and well, can we call them mountainous in the Midlands? I suppose we can. Um, mountainous areas trash free. So we're talking to um, a group who've been involved in encouraging cyclists to play their part. But first things first, we're talking about food. And food is something we talk a lot about here on the show in terms of us trying to eat more sustainably and coming up with more creative recipes. But the food business is possibly one of the most challenging businesses to go into. And I'm joined now by a lady who has managed to make growing her own and cooking her own a a very viable option for herself and and her partner. Erin Bunting, you are very welcome to Let's Go Green. Hi, um, thanks, Ashling. I'm really delighted to be here. Now, Erin, you are known for these incredible cakes that you make and with these beautiful, where you use edible flowers. And we will get to that in a moment. But for listeners who haven't heard of you and your work just yet, give us a little bit of an introduction into what it is that you do. So um, I run a, a business called The Edible Flower, which um, together with my partner, which is uh, based on a small holding um, in County Down, just outside, sort of about 10 miles south of Belfast. Um, we um, are organically certified and we grow lots of the produce that um, we use in our business um, on the small holding. And from the small holding, we run kind of supper clubs, workshops, events, uh, both things to engage people more in food and what they're eating and um, seasonality, but also in the kind of growing side of things as well. And we're called the edible flower, but we're kind of more than that. It's not just about growing edible flowers, though we do grow lots of edible flowers and use kind of a wider food business. And really, we picked the name the edible flower when we started out because it was about um, the fact that almost all our food comes from flowering plants. Um, you know, all our kind of plant-based food comes from flowering plants, you know, uh, you know, wheat, uh, all the grasses, you know, they're all flowering plants. Lots of the food that we eat, like broccoli and cauliflower are actual flowers. But basically, flowers are kind of creating life. They're often creating mm. the fruit or the produce that we're actually eating. So um, so it's kind of broader than that. But we also love edible flowers and use them loads in our cooking. Um, and I do think they're a real kind of marker of seasonality um, and a way of kind of bringing beauty and excitement to your food in a really seasonal, local way. That's one thing I've been doing a lot of thinking about recently. Like we're very, I think, out of touch with eating seasonally. The, you know, the supermarket environment allows us to have, you know, mangoes and avocados and and, and strawberries, you know, all year round. But that's not as nature would intend it. So, you know, it's um, really interesting that you're you're working with the seasons, with, with the, the flowering plants um, to, to grow your own business. Yeah, well, I think the thing is when you're growing your own food or when you're kind of living on a, a farm or wherever, where you're seeing the food growing and you're then using it in the kitchen, you feel very kind of connected to that process because, you know, you can see that there is a glut of pumpkins or a glut of cucumbers or there's loads of mint in the garden at the moment and you know then you want to use it um and i do think 
you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that people shouldn't use supermarkets, um, though I do advocate we have a veg box scheme as well um, for for our kind of veg box scheme members. But um, I think the thing is, you know, you have an app on your phone now um, and, you know, you can just order anything without even like looking at it. So it, it just feels like everything is available all the time. And like, that's crazy because, you know, some of those things like green beans are my real pet hate. Green beans are in season now in Ireland. Um, you know, they have a short season from kind of late July through to maybe the end of September. If you're lucky, they like the warm weather. We shouldn't really be eating them at any other time of year because they're being like flown from Peru or Kenya. <laughs> and because they last such a short time, they're flown rather than, you know, like bananas, which are shipped. And, you know, that is a better a, a better carbon or, you okay. know, a, less of a carbon footprint. But, you know, things that are like have a really short shelf life like that, you know, they're some of the worst things to be eating outside of the season. You know, you really want to be kind of looking at how you can eat them in season and then preserve them to use else, you know, elsewhere in the year. What advice would you have for listeners, you know, who want to eat more seasonally? And I know, you know, you and I can say, well, go to your local uh, vegetable market, your local food market, but but they tend to be more expensive and we're all in a cost of living crisis. So, do you know, Absolutely. do we all, do we need to take a bit more respons- personal responsibility here and and think and try to go back to, you know, thinking, I know thinking more obviously, but even, I don't know, like learning about plants and what's in season when and when the vegetables should be, you know, closer to Ireland if they're not grown in Ireland you know can we can we do more ourselves as individual consumers to eat more seasonally yeah absolutely I mean there's some great cookbooks and um you know if if you don't want to be buying cookbooks you can get them from your local library as well like I'm a massive fan of using your local library um but also even you know we most of us are connected on the internet now um and you know just doing a little bit of research online there's some like great infographics that people have created and stuff that just gives you a sense of what's seasonal, um, you know, in this part of the world at certain times that you can use. And then you can use that to shop seasonally. Because even if you are shopping in the supermarkets or even the budget supermarkets and things, you know, that you will see, um, you know, I do really notice it. You will see prices um, vary through the year, depending on how, whether things are in season or not. So you can kind of look at that and think, okay, it looks like those scallions are in season and things are marked, you know, they're from, from Ireland or from, um, uh you know somewhere closer by than than um you know coming from peru in a uh, yeah. play or whatever but also i would suggest like quite a lot of like there's quite a lot of like um community gardens and things like that now in cities that are doing stuff especially if you if you are struggling you know to do you know contribute to food banks and things like that as well but also just you know if you want to do a little bit of volunteering down at a community garden there's loads of them in cities or um there's lots of allotments as well and things like that and sometimes people are keen to get a bit of help with their allotment in exchange for some produce so I think those are all really good ways but I also do think that veg box schemes aren't as inaccessible as as you know, some people think, some people think, oh, that's just like a really expensive thing, but they can actually be quite affordable, you know, and you get a lot of produce. And if you're then prepared to maybe do a bit of um, preserving, you know, freezing some of that produce, you know, um, blanching it and then freezing it or making it into um, like like tomatoes are in season now, we would roast tomatoes and then just freeze them, you know, and then you can use them for like instead of tinned tomatoes for a, a pasta sauce and things like that. So I do think there are some ways of doing it without necessarily having to spend loads of money. And also if you have a little bit of space, you know, getting a few packets of seeds and growing a bit of your own, you know, I'd really recommend if you want to grow something that's going to make a big difference to your 
your plate and your and also your budget as well is growing salad leaves because they are mm. really expensive and they do not last well so you can grow a few salad plants and pick we would just you wouldn't cut the whole lettuce at, the, at, at once we would just um pick and come again so we yeah just pick, pick, pick what you off. need we we've we built our sink at home that um that that yeah. now grows grows the lettuce um for us and it's just in this nice and we like and it's only a Belfast sink isn't that big of a growing space but no. it, it absolutely does us for the summer you know and and like that you you pick and like I I was always under the impression that to grow tomatoes I'd need some kind of greenhouse which I don't have um but like I've been able to grow tomatoes on my balcony really successfully. Like, you know, it's and they taste fabulous, you know, when you're just be able to pick what you're about to eat. So um, it is like you say, it is doable. So talk to me then about y- your own company, like you're doing supper clubs, you're doing the the the, the veg boxes and um, you're running workshops. Is it more like is it more challenging for you to be running like a food? Like we're all, we all hear of like, you know, well, it's very, very hard to start a business, but it's even harder to start a restaurant or to go into the food industry. We all hear these nightmare stories. So how has it been for you trying to do it in this sustainable and organic method? Yeah. It's, it's just really hard to make it add up, you know, with, um, because obviously we grow some of our own produce, but for our events and things like that, we are um, obviously buying in produce from elsewhere and um, we would use lots of kind of local producers and things. But, you know, everyone's prices are going up because they have to, because the cost of um, energy is going up and the cost of inputs, everybody's inputs is going up and things. So it's just, it is really hard to kind of make those margins add up. And, you know, I do think the time spent in both growing food and harvesting it um, and then also preparing it, um, you know, for a long time, me and my partner have given like a lot of our time for very little return, if you know what I mean. You know, you can make it add up, but you're not mm-hmm. getting paid very much money, if you know what I mean. So, um, so yeah, I would say it is definitely a challenge. But I think um, just kind of looking at different ways to diversify the business, um, add different income streams, that type of thing um, is is really the way that that we've just kind of tried to keep it balanced. But it is tricky and it is tricky because we have two small children as well. So kind of balancing family life with um, running a business um, from your home is is definitely a challenge, I would say. Is it rewarding all the same? Yeah, it's super rewarding. I do feel like you do feel like you're making a difference um, and uh, getting to do what you love as well. You know, I love cooking. I like, I, I really love cooking. So um, the opportunity to, to spend days doing that and designing recipes. And um, we wrote a cookbook um, that was published earlier this year. You know, those kind of opportunities just wouldn't have come along without kind of setting up this business. Now, now the, the cookbook is stunning. And the cakes that I have seen that you make, like, they're pieces of art in their own right. And this idea of using, now I know you mentioned like, you know, the, an awful lot of the plants, the, the vegetables that we eat come from flowering plants and we don't, but we don't see broccoli as a flower. Whereas like the, the de- using what we see as flowers in, in food, it, it makes the meal so much more interesting. So talk to me about um, the cakes and how that all came about because they really are special. Well, the first time I made one of these cakes was um, so basically they're um, they're they're sponge cakes covered in a layer of buttercream. If people haven't seen them, and then um, I press flowers, um, so uh, flowers that we grow on the farm. Um, uh, we you know they're edible flowers. We grow them for eating. Um, I press them, and then I use the pressed flowers, so they're kind of flat to decorate the cakes um, and kind of create a kind of sort of garden or kind of meadow effect um, on the cake using these pressed flowers. Um, and 
you know, it's just really a way of kind of preserving, well, preserving those kind of, that kind of moment in time because you press the flowers when they're in season, when they're at their best, and then you can use them all year round, which is 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 really lovely. But they really came about because during lockdown, um, uh, my mum lives not very far away from us, just down the road, and it was her birthday and um, the first couple of weeks in lockdown, and I just wanted to make her a special cake that we could just bring and um give to her. Um, couldn't come in and eat it with her, but bring and give to her and I just had this idea to use these pressed flowers and so I made one of those and I just put a photo of it on Instagram and said oh you know made this cake for my mom and loads of people loved it and lots of people were like oh can I order one and things like that so it really just grew out of that um, and we were running a catering business a lot at that time that was mainly what we were doing and all our weddings and events had been cancelled for that summer so I just made a lot of pressed flower cakes that summer <laughs> which was a great extra income stream when all our other income had disappeared what flowers can we eat? Oh, so many. You'd be surprised. Um, I guess some like, you know, and I really would encourage people if you've got a garden and you're already growing ornamental plants, you might find you're already growing things that you could eat and you could think about using. Um, so lavender is a great one. Loads of people have that in a garden. All roses are edible. So um, they're, and both roses and lavender have great flavour as well as being edible scented roses. Um, things like uh, daisies so you can just have a lawn with little daisies in it they're edible they look beautiful when they're pressed cornflowers nasturtiums marigolds both french marigolds and the other type which is often called a pot pot marigold or a calendula they're both edible as well um like lots of our hedgerow flowers are edible like elder um, and hawthorn as well so like there's just so many I would assume, though, we should be careful not to like that. We know what we're picking. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I would say if you're if you don't know what you're growing, then don't be eating it. You need to definitely know that you're eating it and that the variety that you're eating is is edible. Um, uh, obviously, our book is a really good guide to edible flowers. It covers about 30 edible flowers, but there are loads of other great sources out there. Um that would kind of provide you some information on edibility. And also you should just know as well whether or not, um, you know, you might need to treat flowers in a certain way. So, for example, elderflowers, you can eat elderflowers in small quantities, but um, the stems and the berries, you shouldn't really be eating the stems at all. The berries need to be cooked before they're consumed. So you just need to be kind of aware of these things before you just start going out and like eating everything in your garden. But I would encourage people to like kind of learn about this and yeah. and, uh, do it. and also if you, do, if you are a bit nervous about that, there are lots of great places um, uh, online and things where you can order some of these flowers dried or already pressed, you know, that are kind of food grade or for using in your bakes or for using in your cooking. Well, they certainly add a bit of panache to a cake or or even a salad. Um, yeah. So it definitely, it definitely does impress if you're cooking for somebody special. I would highly recommend listeners check out the edible flower. Just Google them and their Instagram will pop up for you. But Erin, tell us about the book. Um, how can people find it? So um, you can find it in quite a lot of our like specialist bookshops, um, local bookshops have it. There's definitely plenty of places up north and down south that have tagged me and said they've got it. So um, as well as bookshops, quite a lot of like delis, you know, if you've got any like local delis that also have a bit of a gift section, quite a lot of them in there. But you can also buy it from all the less good <laughs> larger online retailers as well but so. we want to support our local bookshops and I know if you go into your local bookshop and ask somebody standing behind the counter if they have a copy of the edible flower and if not could they please order one in for you they'll have it for you in a day or two and like 
it's sometimes much more convenient than missing that delivery from that large firm that we won't mention and then having to drive the whole way to the postal delivery place to collect it. I um, totally so- agree. I totally <laughs> agree. And the Hachette, who are my, my publisher, they're really great because I buy the books direct from them for selling at R. So if you are in St. Phil County Down, you can come to the farm and buy one directly from us. But um, uh, they sell them, send them out really quickly to me. So I'm sure they can distribute them really quickly to bookshops as well. So pop into your local bookshop anywhere here in the Midlands. We have loads of beautiful bookshops here in the Midlands. We're blessed with them and um, ask them to order you in a copy of The Edible Flower. Erin Bunting, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, Please do keep in touch. We will be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 and I hope you are enjoying our show so far this week. Well, if you've been listening to Let's Go Green for a while now, you might remember that last Christmas we put a shout out out there for companies based in the Midlands that are making environmentally friendly products in the lead up to Christmas. And one of the people that got in contact with us at the time was Leonard Green and Leonard makes environmentally friendly dog snacks. So Leonard um, sent us in some um, lovely treats, which my dog Juno tested out. And the dogs of Midlands 103 um, inhaled, I think, would be the word that I'd <laughs> use, not actually ate, Leonard. But um, you're uh, very welcome uh, back to the show, Leonard. So you're definitely, when it comes to um, pets, you're definitely a dog man, I think. And um, environmentally concerned, I think, would be the way we put it, would it? Yeah, absolutely. Green by name and green by nature. <laughs> Fantastic. And and you're on tonight to talk to us about an event that's coming up just outside of Moat in Dunashi next Sunday. What exactly are you organising? Yeah, so it's Sunday week, Sunday the 24th of September, and it's an event called Clan Madra Family Dog. And it shares the same ethos, I suppose, as what a lot of us are thinking now. Um, it's it's a holistic well-being event. It's a family event, and it's it's obviously for our for our dogs as well, you know. And um, we have some wonderful speakers lined up. We have some really really high caliber speakers after coming on in the last even the last four or five days. We after getting a few more speakers to come. Okay. To come down. Well, yeah. before we get into the speakers, when you say like holistic and well-being, and you're talking about dogs, yeah. like. If you were to say to me holistic and well-being, I'd probably think women in yoga pants, which is very stereotypical, I know. But, yeah. but, but what does that mean to you when it comes to our family pets? I think it it kind of taps into... There's a certain amount of traditional knowledge that has been lost. Um, we have forgotten, like, we live in a very fast world. Mm-hmm. We, we, we we live in a very false world to an extent and we, we consume an incredible amount of processed, not only processed foods, but a lot of stuff has been adulterated um, by chemicals. And and, you know, it's just so far removed from where where we've come from. And it's happened very, very quickly. I think we are returning. I think people are starting to to return to um, more natural, want more natural products and natural mm-hmm. natural fibers, natural clothing, 
um, they want to be more environmentally responsible. And um, I, I think there's more awareness coming through in terms of both pesticides in our food and how our foods are being produced and all that type of thing. Because, you know, let your food be your medicine and your medicine be your food. Um, it's a it's a big, big issue. And mm. I think it's leading to ill health in our dogs and indeed in ourselves as well, you know. Well, um, I know, like I have Juno. She's a wee Jack Russell rescue. And God love her. I have to be terribly careful what I feed her because... She will. Um, she, her body will let me know if it has disagreed with her yeah. rather rapidly, um, yeah. without, without going into the full details on, on the airwaves. But um, yeah. so I can see where you're coming from in that, like, you know, and like you see it even like it does, and it doesn't matter where you're buying pet food or or even what brand you're buying. But if you go into any um shop that sells pet food, um, be that a supermarket, a pet shop, or a veterinary clinic. It's all stored in some kind of plastic. It's, you know, it's it's all very processed and commercialized. And, you know, we look at the ingredients as to what we're feeding ourselves. But, you know, do we look closely at what we're giving our pets? Probably not as closely as we should. So that's one thing. And that's part of what inspired you to, to set up your, your pure meat snacks dog treat yes. company. Yes. Turning that though into an event now, that that's a bit of an ask. Yeah, well, I I have Pure Meat Snacks, which is my retail brand. But I also in 2021 I brought out a new brand called Tonic Treat. Okay. The retail space, it's a very difficult space for an artisan producer. Um by their nature. The supermarkets and the bigger retailers are very margin hungry. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, very hard space for an artisan producer to 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 be able to to do business in. Because the volume that I can produce is actually quite small. Yeah. Um, but the quality that I produce is very, very high. And in fairness, it's an injustice to my products to put them in to spaces where they're competing against mass manufactured products. And like as a few people have said to me, when does a health food section in the supermarket, what does that mean for the rest of the food that's in there? Um, and I'm not saying one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And um, I think um, with my, my products, I use Irish ingredients where I can. I think we're incredibly lucky in this country that we've got we've got some phenomenal resources from our land and, and from our waters, from our, our like predominantly our, our our dairy industry and our beef industry is is grass fed. When you take an animal and you rear that animal off grass. I know in the winter time they're housed, but they're still eating grass. They might have a small amount of concentrates. But nothing in comparison to 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 animals that would be in feedlots and fed mm-hmm. most concentrates. So if you take an animal, and that animal is grass fed, if we're consuming it, or if our animals are consuming it, you're you're consuming healthy fats because it's it's off grass. It's anti-inflammatory fats you're consuming. If you take that very same animal, and you feed it concentrates like grains and stuff. Within one month, 
the fats of that animal are now becoming inflammatory fats, so unhealthy fats. So my background is I'm a butcher. Um, I worked in the food industry for 12, 13 years, and then I went to the, into the engineering world and I spent about 10 years in that. And I married the two to create my pet, my pet food brand, knowing that I was up against some huge, huge companies. So I was never going to be able to compete in price and didn't want to, but I knew I was going to be able to produce very, very high quality products, which I have done, which has not been an easy road to come up because I've built about 70% of the production line. The reason is because it's a very expensive game to get into. And the only way I could do it was to actually build my own machines, which I've done. And my dryer, for instance, I dehydrate. And I've, I've built my own dryer. And it took a little over seven years to perfect that. So it was a long, long, long time. And I, as I've said to the Department of Agriculture, who would come in and inspect me on four or five times a year, I see my, my little factory in Multi as my laboratory, uh, my stepping stone to where I will eventually get going to. But when you go out and you take Mother Nature's ingredients, the, the meat is a very high quality meat and it's it's the, it's the tasty bit that the dogs love and, and they need. Like the, the, the pH of a dog's stomach is very low. And if they consume meat, which they have evolved to do, it the pH of the dog's stomach remains low, around two to three. So then, is this is this Clanmadra event then about educating people around caring for our animals? Yes, and I think we can also learn from it ourselves. Um, a lot of the speakers that's coming are, we have an holistic vet coming from Port Marnock. Okay. We have um, Dr. Marie Hayes coming from Chagas, who's a lady I've been doing research with. Uh, we have um, we have about four or five holistic speakers coming, or, or people of, of that, that kind of nature and caliber. Maria Hayes would be very much into the, the functional aspects, particularly in lines of seaweeds. And she does a lot of research with the methane and the cows and all that type of thing. We have uh, Louise Jones is coming to talk about Canicross. So it's not just about holistic well-being. There's a multifaceted approach to it. But it's about how do we kind of get back to a more meaningful way and, and a potentially healthier way for our animals. And I think also for ourselves we can learn because for me, it's nature will teach you if if you if you go out into nature and, and you see how nature operates and what nature does and and if you deviate from from that that path, I don't think it's 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 not a good place to be. You know, uh, I think we should we should really try and as um, uh, Victor Schalberger, he's becoming a little bit more popular now, a naturalist from Austria. What he said was to cop to comprehend and to copy nature, I, I think we can all learn from that, you know. And like, and, and the, Leonard, this I, event, I, it's taking place on, on Sunday in Dunashi in the Heritage Park yeah. there, just outside of Moat. It's yeah. called Clon Madra. Um, yeah. How do people find out more about it? They can, if they punch in uh, Clon Madra into Google, it'll come up. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
they can they can get tickets from Future Ticketing. There's also a link on our website. For, uh, uh, again, if they go into Clonmodrum, they'll be able to get ticketing. Um, it's a family-orientated event. We've got some lovely speakers lined up, as I say, but the event itself, uh, we've got face painting, storytelling, dog agility, dock diving. Um, we've got a dog show and dock diving. And there's a, a fantastic, actually, two fantastic treasure hunts, one for humans and the other for dogs. And everything is free inside. It's in, uh, We want to, for people, to, we're putting this together to have, for everybody to have an enjoyable day and hopefully pick up a few nuggets of, of, of information along the way. And they'll have an opportunity to 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 listen to the different speakers and to partake in a bit of fun and, and see the dogs doing what dogs love doing, having a bit of fun and hopefully we'll all have a little bit of fun. And our four-legged friends are welcome on the day. Absolutely. And it's the first time, done she, four to the fairies, it's the first time dogs have got access into the, into the venue. Really, like, it's a beautiful venue. And it's oh, a, it is, yeah. A farm. And there's a 22-acre park beside it with lovely art installations and a lovely path and a fantastic playground for children. So it'll be a lovely day out, I think, for families. And there's a lot of interest. It's the first time I think something like this has taken place in Ireland. So it's a great opportunity to for people to get out and um, to do something different on, on the Sunday. And, um, and as well as that, we're helping um, Irish Dogs for the Disabled and also Husky Rescue Ireland are coming up there, going to run the Tlanmadra dog show with us. So, yeah, there's, 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 there's lots involved, you know. And Irish Dogs for the Disabled are, are, do such important work. So it is so important to, to, yeah. to support them yeah. and, and all that they do. Well, yeah. if you're interested in this holistic event in Dunashi on Sunday, Go to Tlan, go, Google as um, Tlan Madra and it's a family dog show. It's, it's going to be a treasure hunt. You'll have to tell me later on what dog diving is. Um, but for the dogs, there'll be agility, food and market, a, a food, foods and a market stall with yeah. talks as well, all in support of the Irish dogs for the disabled. Leonard Green, thank you so much for joining us on Let's Go Green. We'll be back after the break. Thanks, Ashleen. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103, and I hope you are enjoying this week's episode of the show. Well, you may have noticed that frequently on the show, I invite you, the listener, to get in contact and suggest items for air. Stephen McAvoy did just that and Stephen alerted me to a group of people who are cycling enthusiasts who are also trying to keep our mountains and hills clean. Stephen McAvoy joins me now on Let's Go Green. Stephen, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ashley. Thank you so much for getting in contact. And uh, for anybody who um, suspects I don't read those emails, I do. I just don't always get a chance to reply back quickly to everybody, but I do read them all. Stephen, tell me about Trash Free MTB. What exactly is it? We're a group that, uh, like as you said, we're outdoor enthusiasts and mountain biking is our sport. And we 
do be in different parts of the country and generally we go for a cycle and if we see a bit of litter or trash, we pick it up and bring it home or dispose of it in the proper manner. And this, so you're cycling enthusiasts, specifically mountain biking? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Um, and like, how did this all start off? Because like I know, like growing up in the Midlands and working in the newsroom when I did in Midlands 103, like littering and illegal dumping on the Schlieve Blooms in particular has been an issue over the years. So what inspired you guys to to actually kind of formalise doing something about it? Um, a couple of years ago, uh, just like that with the new mountain bike trails that were coming to the Sleeve Blooms that uh, Quilcha had put there and that we were going to the mountains more and like that I was in certain tar parks and I just generally started to pick litter and one or two of the other bikers that were with me then they started to do a bit and one of them suggested me well why don't you uh, make a a page or social media about it and see what happens out. so it sort of started from there then and we've slowly built and there's a couple of people all around Ireland now that uh, in fairness them every time they go out on a spin they'll pick up some rubbish if they see it and bring it home so that's generally the idea of it so it is I always admire the Tidy Towns volunteers when I see them out and about and um like, I'll be honest, I absolutely detest picking up litter from other people. Now, if I see it, I pick it up. Um, but it's not something I would choose to go out and do. You know, I just I think it's disgusting. So, you know, um, has it been hard to convince your friends to row in and do this with you? It, it can be. I do organise an odd um, sort of litter pick. Uh, specifically, we do it around April. With we join in with the national spring clean, so that generally does be um, a big say event. We'd have a few cyclists here and there, and there'd be a few groups staying around there and do it as well. So when you're trying to roll people in for certain days, yeah, like as a mountain biker, you want to be able to go to the mountain, have your spin, enjoy it, that sort of thing. Um, and that's generally what you're trying to do. But mm-hmm. as someone, uh, I can't. Sometimes I can't cycle past a piece of rubbish. I have to pick it up. So you don't want to upset other people going on their cycle either if they're witches. So there's a limit of how much um, stop and start you want to do as well. So, but there's some stuff you just can't leave behind. So it is. What are the kind of things you're coming across on your cycling trips? Well, generally, it varies. It depends on where you are. So if you're doing the Quilta trails, it generally does be um, bottles that aren't necessarily in a proper bottle holder on the bike and they rattle off the bike as they're going down the trail, something like yeah. that. Or or you have the likes of your protein bar wrapper or sweet wrapper that where bikers are using them as their energy source or energy gels. Energy gels are sort of a bit of a pain. Um, so they are they're nearly the messiest thing you'll pick up as such but they're the things that you'll be picking on the trail and generally then car parks that can vary because 
you sometimes you're using car parts that other public members are using walkers now in fairness walkers do keep uh, an eye on things too in fairness them, but you have a, the public coming out for a handy walk so coffee cups and uh, a lot of lately now there a couple of years ago it would have been a lot of coffee cups on parts of the mountain um, and most mountains but now it's slowly turned and you're getting a lot of these energy drinks cans that's nearly the most popular thing now I'd be picking up the last while so it would be does it frustrate you? Like I, I can't, like I'm no saint when it comes to mind in the environment. Like I try, but I'm definitely not perfect at it. Um, but I also at the same time, I don't understand why you'd have a can of whatever brand it is and then just dump it on, on a footpath or a cycle track. It doesn't make any sense to me. So does it frustrate you as someone who enjoys the mountains to see people being disrespectful in this way around them? Oh God, yeah, without a doubt. Um, like that, the same as that. Uh, I'm, I'm not perfect in any manners uh, towards the environment. There's so much more I could do myself, but this is just one thing that I feel I'm able to do. Uh, and what really is frustrating is the person that carries the can or the coffee cup all the way up the hill, up the top of the mountain and leaves it up there. And you're like scratching your head going, why Why did you go that far with it? Like, and not be able to bring it back empty. It's like, I, that part frustrates me. The understanding of people really can't just do and bring it home. You know, that sort of way. A number of years ago, I went on a hiking holiday um, across southern Japan and it always fascinated me that you'd go up these mountains in Japan and there'd be a vending machine at the top of it. And you'd get like, you'd get a hot drink in the vending machine. Um, And I just, it completely baffled me, but you'd never see any litter because in Japanese culture, they always carry two things in their, on their person, whether it's a backpack or a handbag or a, a briefcase, they have a Ziploc bag with a damp face cloth to clean themselves throughout the day and a Ziploc bag for rubbish that if they generate any rubbish during the day, it goes into the Ziploc bag and then they bring it home um, to dispose of properly at home. Do we need a culture change around litter in Ireland? Because this seems to be a generational problem. Like we, we, we seem to have fits and starts around talking about littering in Ireland, but yet it's still an issue and it seems it's an unusual issue. And like in, in other countries, it just is not a thing, but unfortunately it is here. And I'm just wondering if you, if you have any ideas as to how we could solve it altogether. I don't think you'll ever solve it all together because there's selfish people out there and they will always do what they want to do. Um, but there is a couple of things that can be done in part of, and I know everybody goes, oh, education, education, but education to understand why it is so bad to litter. So, like, that's one thing. There, there's a group in England that I do be in touch with as well, and uh, they're one of the leaders in what they're doing, and they're called Trash Free Trails. So they are, and, and they're one of the leaders in uh, outdoor pursuit and outdoor, just keeping everything as good as you can. And um, they do, like, if you go up the mountain and uh, I'd probably be able to find one quick enough if I headed up there. But if you pick up a can, I'd say I need energy drinks. The that energy drink, 
has sugar in it and it'll draw uh, animals to say small mammals or whatever, your mouse or that sort of thing. And if you pick up that can and smell that can and they, and they call it the smell can test and you smell it and it smells horrible, but something has died in that can, so that's it has unfortunately gone in there, can't get out because of the shape of the top of the can. It can't get out and it ends up dying in that can. So that's, if you educate people in the way of that, it's why it's bad for the environment. Like, most people know it is bad for the environment, but educate them why. Like, also your plastic, your your coffee cups, all of them, they don't break down like people think. Our, most of water or reservoirs are filled from your rivers in your mountains. So if people are going up, just leaving the rubbish up there, that eventually breaks down. And you have your microplastics and you have a, a lot of other, say, toxic products from all that breakdown entering the streams. And that enter. So in the end, we're only poisoning ourselves by doing it. But I think mm. that has to be educated across soils as well. In that sort of. What's been the reaction to people in the cycling community to to trash free MBT and and what kind of feedback have you been getting? Oh, look, uh, a lot of support. In fairness, you do get a lot of support. You get a lot of support from um, like that. Obviously, other bikers and um, so you do. So it's always. Uh, it's always good. We go to some of the races as well and people know us. We have judges and people know that who we are. So, like, there's never any issue that way. People are always, um, like, supportive of it. And you do get, on the social media, I guess people send me pictures of a bag of rubbish that they're after picking on their spin or uh, parents that, while their kids are out on a spin, they pick up the rubbish mm. as well, and and it it has that um, sort of community. It, it's it is building like like that. It was only started out of a car park, as in just doing something that we believed was right, and it it slowly builds that way. And once you get more people uh, included, it is building, and people can see what they're trying to do. So they're happy to join in and help out. So they are. Well, it's great to see something like this and something like this happening in the Midlands and people taking, well, a bit of ownership over the problem because it's very easy to say, ah, you know what, someone else has cleaned it up, I won't bother. But, you know, if we all did that, then the place would be filthy altogether. So, Stephen, if people want to get involved in your group, how do they get in contact with you? All they do is just uh, drop a message on, we're on um, Facebook and Instagram and that's generally where most people get in touch with me. So I do, and that's all, just drop me a message and I usually get back to people and we do have like that uh, this autumn now, we'll hope to do an odd social spin here or there and a bit of a litter pick in the area that we might be in and, and that's sort of what we aim to do, so it is. Well, sure, Stephen, um, I know it's Trash Free MB, MTB, Stephen, isn't it? So that's yes. short for, that's code for mountain biking, Stephen told me before yes. we started chatting. Um, so it's M as in mother tank fur. Okay, so MTB. So Trash Free MTB. Look it up on Instagram or Facebook and Stephen will be in touch with you then. Um, Stephen, you'll keep in contact with us here on Let's Go Green, won't you? And let us know um, when you're having these social events so we can let listeners know about them. Perfect. Super. Thank you.
Thank you very much for getting in contact with Let's Go Green. And if you have an item that you would like me to feature here on Let's Go Green any week, please do get in contact with me directly on midlands103.com. Click on the on air team button at the top of the screen. Click on my name, Ashling O'Rourke, and it gets you straight through to me. It might take a day or two for me to respond, but I promise I will. We'll be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid. Managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And I'm afraid that's all we have time for on this week's episode of the show. My thanks to each of my contributors to this week's episode of Let's Go Green. And just a reminder that if you'd like me to discuss something in particular or you have a suggestion for the show, please do get in contact with me. You can hop over to midlands103.com, click on the on-air team, click on my name, Ashling O'Rourke, and send me an email directly there. I promise I might not get a chance to reply to everybody but I do read each and every one of those messages. And of course, this is just your reminder that if you miss an episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 on Monday nights every week at seven o'clock, well, you can catch up with us on Spotify, Apple and indeed Google Podcasts. Whichever podcast app you prefer, you'll find Let's Go Green with Ashling O'Rourke there. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week where we're going to be looking at climate anxiety. So I I hope it will be a very interesting episode um, of the show for you. But for now, stay safe. Have a great week. And I'll be back same time next week with Let's Go Green. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid. Managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more.